Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey guys, Kristen here, and I'm coming at you with good news and bad news. The good news is that this week we are re-releasing one of our favorite episodes of all time. It's the Juvenile Bigfoot episode, so we hope you guys really enjoy it. We absolutely love this one. And please, the next time you go Bigfoot hunting, don't get too high up in that tree. Um, on to the bad news. The reason we don't have a new episode this week is that Brandy tested positive for COVID-19. It's been a pretty scary week. Brandy's dad, her stepmom, her sister Casey, and her brother-in-law James all contracted the virus. They're hanging in there, though. They're doing okay. It seems like everyone has a mild case. So (laughs) it's shitty, but it could be a lot worse. So that's the big silver lining. Uh, One thing we did kind of want to tell you guys, though, is that none of them were doing anything risky. And I think that just shows how contagious this virus is and how seriously we all need to take it. But, since every story needs a hero, let's all give a big hat tip to Casey. Because Casey went and got tested, like, the second she developed symptoms. She didn't wait around, and because she got tested so quickly, everyone else was able to act quickly, too. Her actions definitely stopped me and Norm from getting it, and who knows how many others. So please follow your local guidelines and, you know, if your local guidelines suck, then follow better ones and wear a mask, wash your hands and social distance. And let's all be like Casey. If you're feeling a little funny, don't risk it. Get tested. We're going to be back next week with a new episode. My lovely sister Kyla will be filling in as guest host. And in the meantime, please send positive thoughts prayers, good vibes, whatever you got to Brandy's family. And also, please take care of yourselves. Be safe, everybody. One semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Pitts. I'm Brandy Egan. Let's go to court. On this episode, I'll talk about a reluctant lottery winner. And I'll be talking about betrayal upon betrayal upon betrayal i can't handle all this betrayal (laughs) so much betrayal okay that was the most vague intro you've ever done but i'm so intrigued right yes Mm. 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 it was october 2nd 1999 Mm. when 75 year old stephen beard was startled awake in his austin texas bedroom He felt unbearable pain in his abdomen. And when he reached down to kind of touch it and feel it. Was a knife sticking out of it? Instead of finding his belly, Uh (laughs) his hands landed on his intestines. Oh, no. Oh, God. Right? Yeah. 
Stephen was conscious, but he was in great pain when he reached for the phone to dial 911. I need an ambulance, he told the dispatcher. My guts just jumped out of my stomach. Oh, what, buddy? Oh. They blew out. Oh, God. Yeah, they blew out of my stomach. They're just lying on my stomach. Oh, my God. Okay, said the 911 operator. They're lying on your stomach? Yeah, how the hell did that happen? I'm in awful pain, Stephen said. How did this happen, the dispatcher said. I, it just happened. I, I woke up. I just woke up. After another brief exchange, the operator said, I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring out what happened. Mm-hmm. And so was Stephen Beard. He didn't know how this had happened. He just knew he needed help. And then he said maybe my favorite thing I've ever heard <laughs> on a 911 call. I don't know what happened. I've never had this happen before. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> okay, it's not funny. No, it's not funny. But it's kind of funny. Well, he was clearly drugged, right? Drugged and then sliced open, and then he comes to, and what? why are you looking at me like That's that? That's what you think happened? Well, it sound, you know what it sounds like? Um, that case I covered a long time ago. Yeah, with the... Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And her... <laughs> I'm making a lot of hand gestures and no one can see. It's just so gruesome. Cut her open with a box knife. And yeah, then it was the... She had to stuff her intestines back in. Yeah, yeah. Sorry for everyone who's like, gee, I, I wonder what episode that was. Gee, I wonder what it was even called. It was Quentin O'Dell was Serial the killer murder. in the making. Oh. Episode 14, maybe. Holy shit. Okay, Brandy I have to check now Egan because if, for the I, win. if I am right, I want a fucking cookie. Okay. I mean, I wish I had cookies, but I eat all of them <laughs> immediately when they come into this house. Episode 14. How do you know I that? don't know. Shit is just up here in this brain. And if it wasn't just lodged in there, I could probably cure fucking cancer. Kristen. Well, here this is why you're so good at trivia. <laughs> and tomorrow night we're having our annual trivia night. I'm so excited. Um I already saved something on my phone to send to you, but I'll I'll bring it up now because I feel like we're oh, going to need it. Okay. Okay, hang on. So, um every year we do a trivia, like a charity trivia night. Mm-hmm. And it is tomorrow, and Kristen and- thinks we win every year. In a way, we do. <laughs> one and norm and i are always pissed about it and kristen's like didn't we win last year no kristen we did not win last year we did not win the year before we did not win the year before that well much like a loser i can't find this thing on my phone but what it is <laughs> much like a loser. i mean you two are so funny like oh, we yeah. talked about trivia night the other night and Norman even remembered the two categories where we sucked the worst. Lumberjacks. How the hell do you... And trees. <laughs> Which those seem too close together. They do. Frankly. But how do you... Like, you know what I remember? What? That Having we everybody a good time. had a good time. Had a good I time. just hope everybody has a 
good time. I remember what I wore. I remember the snacks that were prepared. (laughs) (laughs) Can't tell you anything more. (laughs) Anyway, Mm -hmm. now that I was right, let me get back to my hot pink tube top Rice Krispie treats. No, No, neither of those are correct. (laughs) Okay, so emergency personnel and police were immediately dispatched to Stephen Bear's 5,300 square foot home. I thought it was Stephen Beard. It is Stephen Beard. (laughs) It seems that I have dropped a letter here. Did a bear come? A bear came! (laughs) And then Stephen Beard was also there. And then there was some emergency personnel. It was very crazy. This guy's intestines had just jumped out of his stomach. He'd never had it happen before. (laughs) Stop. Stop. We can't keep laughing about that. (laughs) He said it. But I feel for him because can you imagine fielding these questions from the 911 operator who's like, I don't understand what happened. And you're like, me neither. Listen, lady, I have no idea. (laughs) Um, so he lives in a 5,300 square foot. Oh, um, they in this article, which most of this stuff comes from an article by David Krajicek for Crime Library. OK. And in this article, he calls it a mini mansion. But well, 5,300 square feet, it's mini not real me. mini. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the mansion is located in the pricey Toro Canyon, which is just west of Austin. OK. So Stephen is passing in and out of consciousness. He's in a ton of pain, um, but he still had the presence of mind to ask the dispatcher to call his wife, Celeste, who was sleeping in a separate wing of their sprawling home. Hmm. But the calls from the dispatcher went unanswered. Celeste slept through the ringing phone. Hmm. The house was locked up and dark when emergency crews arrived. They peered through the windows until they spotted Beard, lying in bed, bleeding. They had to break a patio door to get inside. The emergency crews looked him over, and it looked like it was, I mean, his whole stomach was open. It looked as if maybe he, an incision from a past hernia surgery had failed in his Guts had just kind of split open. Oh, God. So that's what they thought upon first glance, that that was what happened. So they, and he's a big guy. He's like 300 pounds. Uh So they're like, they wrangle him onto a stretcher, holding his guts in place, and they life flight him to an area hospital. Mm -hmm. But they're like, you know, clearly he's had some kind of medical emergency, some. Perhaps this say. thing has failed and this is all just natural causes mm-hmm. until they made a discovery on the floor of his bedroom. What do you think they discovered, Kristen? A knife. No, you would be wrong. May I take another guess? Yes. May I take another step? <laughs> I didn't even have it. Can I take another step at it? <laughs> okay, we should pause here and say... We are recording this at night, so it's getting a little wacky. This is uh oh, this is another episode of Let's Go to Court After Dark. I'm sorry, I couldn't remember what we called it, so I couldn't join in. <laughs> I, I really thought you were gonna like join in with me. I was about to say late at night, but I realized that sounded so stupid. Uh, it's after, after dark. dark. Yeah, that sounds really cool. <laughs> sounds like a place I wanna be. Late at night is just like why am I here? 
Okay, what's your, do you want to take another guess for real what they found on the floor of his bedroom? Razor blade? No. What? It was a freshly fired shell casing from a 20-gauge shotgun. Whoa! Yes. This was not a failed incision at all. Stephen had been shot. So he's flown to Brackenridge Hospital in Austin. Brackenridge? Brackenridge, Kristen. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you attempt to correct me when I have no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs) He's flown to the hospital. His wife, um, once they managed to fucking wake her up. Mm-hmm. And her twin teenage daughters, whom Beard had recently adopted, followed him to the hospital in a police car. Mm-hmm. Once there, the teenage girls were joined by their boyfriends, and all five kind of sat holding vigil in a hospital waiting room. Paul Knight, a sheriff's investigator, was sent to the hospital to ask questions, to question them, you know, see what they knew, what had been going on, really like ask a few questions and question them. You could tell. I, I was 100% trying not to could tell. You have a terrible poker face. Yes, I realized that I said ask them question and question them. <laughs> <laughs> you think I don't know when I say something stupid, Kristen? <laughs> hey, get it all out tonight. I need you smart for trivia night. So he was done questioning, interrogating, interrogating asking, asking questions. questions. <laughs> yes. So he asked the question Mm -hmm. that every homicide questioner (laughs) must question to the loved ones. Any idea who would have done this? Right. Christopher Dosey, the boyfriend of one of the twins, spoke up. He said, how about that crazy Tracy? So who was Crazy Tracy? Well, before we learn that, we need to know a little bit more about Celeste and Stephen. Celeste was raised in Ventura County, California, one of four adopted children of Edwin and Nancy Johnson. She had a really rough childhood. It was not a happy one. She claimed that she was abused by her adoptive mm-hmm. parents and in her adopted brother, adoptive brother. And so she left home very early. Right. She even was like her adoptive mother was, had uh, mental health issues and was institutionalized at times. So she was left at home with the adoptive father and brother who she said oh. abused her. So it was just, it was not a great, a great situation. Yeah. She attempted suicide at a young age. And then at 17, she got married to another teenager. And they got married because she was pregnant. And she Mm -hmm. gave birth to her twin daughters shortly after. The marriage was brief um, and believed to be physically abusive. There were uh, restraining orders involved, all kinds of stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Not a great, not a great situation. Yeah. So... It didn't last long. Uh, she was divorced by by 1983. So I think she was, I don't know, 18, 19 by then. So, mm-hmm. But 
She did not let this dissuade her. She was definitely the marrying kind. She soon wed Harold Wolfe, who was an Air Force mechanic, but they divorced by 1991. This is an odd note, but Celeste has long claimed that her divorce lawyer paid for her to have a boob job after that divorce. What? Yes. So she got a boob job and people were like, well, how how did you pay for that? Because she didn't have any money. She's like, well, my divorce lawyer paid for it. So she and the divorce lawyer were together. Oh, Kristen. (laughs) I know it's an outrageous thing to say. I think that's such a weird. Yeah. So then from there, Celeste moved to Arizona and she was not doing well. She was struggling to make ends meet. Hey, and what do you want for your birthday? Like, do you want a new set of tits or like? <laughs> I'm just, just can you imagine? Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, definitely. Okay, <laughs> we can move on. I just just wanted to. Were you are you offering to buy me a new pair of tits? Christine? You know how cheap I am. Can you imagine the boob job I'd get you? You know what? We've talked about this before. <laughs> if you're going, you want to go balls to the wall on the boob job. Yeah, I mean, if it's gonna be okay, oh I I almost. I here's what I almost said. Uh huh. If it's gonna be inserted inside you, it better be good. <laughs> I mean, it has. So that, I'm not. Wrong. I mean, you're not wrong, Kristen. Sorry, and mom can... and dad. <laughs> <laughs> this is Brandy talking. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? So she. Apparently got into some more trouble there. She reported a car stolen and then was caught actually burning it. And so oopsies, whole fraud situation. She was convicted of of insurance fraud and she spent three months in jail. Only three months. Yeah, I know. Right. Huh. Okay. So then comes along husband number three. His name was Jimmy Martinez. Mm hmm. And Celeste called him BMW. Care to uh, venture a guess at what the BMW stands for? Gee. Oh, wait. It stands for it, stands for not something. because he drives a it's BMW? It's not. It's an acronym. I don't know. Big Mexican wiener. Ew! What? <laughs> what? Yeah, that's what she called her husband. Uh, yeah yeah okay so this marriage surprisingly did not last either and celeste found herself single again and now living in austin texas she was now in her early 30s and she was just trying to stay afloat she was working as as a waitress by 1993 at the austin country club and among the regular customers there were Stephen and Elise Beard, both in their 60s with grown mm. children. Oh, oh boy. Elise was an avid golfer, and Stephen really preferred the indoor activities, you know, like hanging out at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> Same. But Elise actually was diagnosed with cancer and died pretty quickly. And she passed away in October of 1993. Mm. And Stephen was not about to be alone. Yeah. And within weeks of the funeral, he began pursuing companionship from none other than 
Celeste Johnson Bratcher Wolf Martinez. Oh, gosh. It's a lot of names. I don't know that she actually went by all of those last Surely names. Surely you got to drop a few. Yeah. <laughs> they had their first date three weeks after Elisa's death. Oh, God. Yeah. Stephen Beard was 68 and Celeste was 30. <laughs> That's disgusting. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> Are you sure? I'm positive. Never been more sure. <laughs> For their first date, Beard treated Celeste to a lavish Italian meal at Mamma Mia's restaurant in Austin, and they enjoyed, enjoyed a nightcap at his home. Then, Stephen allowed Celeste to drive herself home in his $50,000 Lexus. That's probably going to get a 30-year-old to sleep with you. I mean, you know, you're making these faces. But if you're 68 going for the 30-year-old, you know they're only in it for money. So, yeah, you should. Oh, 100%. I mean, my opinion, yeah, give them the keys to your fucking Lexus. Take them to Mamma Mia. Tell her to get all the eggplant parm she wants. You know, like... I would like to just give a special shout out to David Krajicek, the writer of this article, for this next line that he pinned. Okay. Then Celeste must have said to herself, this could work out nicely. Alexis beats the hell out of a BMW. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Wow. Getting steamy, David Krajicek. <laughs> Let's go to court after dark. Oh, yeah. Getting hot in Giggity. Here. <laughs> so, Beard did really the only thing he knew how to do. He courted Celeste with an open checkbook. Mm-hmm. For Christmas in 1993, he gave her a $16,000 cocktail ring, a $3,000 wristwatch, and a Ford Explorer. All for Christmas. (gasps) He also invited her to move in with him. And she did on January 1st, 1994. In their first year of that relationship, Stephen kind of took care of all of the stuff that was in Celeste's past that was still kind of hanging over her head. She had a $20,000 restitution bill from that insurance fraud case. Uh He took care of it. He agreed. She had like lost custody of her children for at some point, mm-hmm. and he agreed to pay to get them back in the custody, whether that meant he needed to adopt them or whatever. Yeah. He was willing to do it. After 13 months of living together, Stephen and Celeste agreed to make their relationship legitimate. But first, Stephen made Celeste sign a prenuptial agreement. Oh. She would get $500,000 and not a penny more if they divorced. Mm -hmm. If she became his widow. Oh, boy. She would stand to get much, much more. Mm Mm-hmm. Because she was the beneficiary listed in his will. So he had the the forethought to get this prenup, right? 
he wasn't a dumb guy. He was a really a self-made guy. He'd he'd worked for everything he had. He had served in the Navy and then he started out in radio and advertising in the 50s and 60s and climbed his way up until he was like an executive of a Fox network mm-hmm. in Texas. And he was worth millions. So the two were married in a lovely ceremony at the Austin Country Club on February 18th, 1995. And their honeymoon was a bit of a train wreck (laughs) because Stephen was 68 and had trouble performing. Couldn't tap dance. (laughs) Could not tap dance. And uh, he required, um, so this is 1995, you'll recall. No Viagra yet. Right? Uh-huh. No. So what they did was. Oh, God. What are you about to tell me? <laughs> you had to. So uh, uh, there was a similar treatment to Viagra that was around. There was stuff you could take, but it had to be injected into oh, the no. penis. Oh, God. With a needle. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh. And so Celeste did it and then said she was so traumatized by it that she couldn't possibly have sex Well, yeah. It. What yeah. What do you inject into the woman? Yeah. Mind-numbing cream? I mean, that's <laughs> terrible. So um, she, she did have sexual intercourse with him that day. And according to her, she only ever had it with him one other time. I don't blame her. Yes. Well, I, I've got to take my hands away from my face. I'm sorry. <laughs> you don't want to be injecting any penis stiffening serums into anybody's penis? I mean, if it can't happen, it can't happen, right? I mean, you're 68. <laughs> Wanted to celebrate that new bride. Well, but you can't have her, but he... After that, things were not going well, if you can imagine it, Why for the not? new Beard family. Why didn't they inject because some fun into Celeste things? Celeste was no longer willing to give him the injections, and so they just didn't have sex. Sure. And at one point, it was like like four months after the wedding or something like that, uh-huh. Stephen Beard actually filed for divorce. Oh, he was wow. like, I'm not going to stay married to her. But the two negotiated and mm. they came up with a solution. That sounds he romantic. withdrew the peti- petition for divorce and uh, they came up with um, the Sunday service agreement. Ew. Oh, my God. Is this what I think it is? <laughs> Which meant that every Sunday <laughs> she had to have sex with him. No, no. She had to give him oral pleasure, Kristen. Ew, this is gross. Yeah, it's really gross. But that seems illegal. <laughs> well, yeah. God. <laughs> yeah, it's not awesome. This poor woman. <laughs> I mean, I know she shoots him. Oh, do you? Yeah, I do. Mm. Sorry, Mm. I do. Perhaps you forgot the intro to this case. She shot him, and then one of the twins shot him, and then the other twin shot him? Nope. But you are right. There are three people (laughs) (laughs) So far, we've only heard of two. Okay. Keep your pants on. Sorry. 
they're already off and I need an injection. Um, yeah, so she actually... <laughs> How could you not laugh? Sorry, I was distracted. That was not... I didn't care for that at all. <laughs> Celeste was not a fan of this arrangement. Really? But it gave her the thing that she really wanted out of him, which was money. Okay. She called it the Sunday suck. Ew. Her daughters would later say that she would, they'd be doing something or whatever, and she'd be like, all right, guys, I got to go. I got to go do the Sunday suck. Ew, she told or her Or she would say, all right, girls, I got to go. I got to go make some money. Ew. Yeah. Ew. So this worked for a little bit, mm-hmm. but Stephen really came to realize what he hadn't realized in the beginning, I guess, was that Celeste was just with him for his money really and so he set her up with an account with the five hundred thousand dollars in it that she would be owed if they divorced and he thought like you know if she has that money maybe she'll spend less of my money you know whatever he was wrong she spent that five hundred thousand dollars in six months whoa on what everything okay (sighs) yeah and So he was pissed because he thought like, okay, this is what you're going to be owed. If this goes south, I will go ahead and give it to you now. You do with it. Do with it what you want. And she just blew through it. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it was a dumb fucking move. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, Celeste has become not a big fan of her husband. Uh Uh-huh. Sure. She's unhappy with their arrangement with the Sunday suck. Yeah. She is, she only refers to him behind his back as the fat bastard or the (gasps) old fool. Yeah. 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 Pretty bad. Um, And many people overheard her on multiple occasions saying with exasperation, Mm -hmm. why doesn't he just die already? Ooh. I mean, he's only 68. I was going to say, you're going to have to, you gotta wait a while. Yeah. Well, unless you take matters into your own hands. Oh. Do you think that's the betrayal that I'm talking about? I mean, clearly from your reaction, it's not. Hmm. But all signs are certainly pointing to it. Hmm. Hmm. Wouldn't you like to know? Listen and find out. I was about to turn this off. (laughs) (laughs) So, she's unhappy with her marriage. It's sexless. And so she decides to kind of rekindle an old flame with old BMW. Hmm. And so she's secretly driving like 40 miles to see him several times a week. She would slip out of the house after Stephen went to bed. He often went to bed at like 930. Yeah, because he's an old He's an older. And that sometimes she would spike his food and drinks with sleeping pills so that he'd fall asleep earlier. Yeah, not great. So, sometime around New Year's in 1999, Stephen had had enough. He was like, I know what you're doing. You're spending all of my money. You're sleeping with somebody else. I'm going to file for divorce. And so, Celeste threatened to kill herself. Oh. If he divorced her. And that's how she ended up in St. David's Pavilion for mental health treatment. And it was there that she met crazy 
Tracy. <gasps> it was March of 1999 when Stephen sent Celeste for treatment at St. David's Pavilion. Uh-huh. And there she met Tracy Tarleton. And Tracy was immediately smitten with Celeste. A few weeks later, she wrote her a love note. It said, Celeste, you are so beautiful. I think about your long, silky body and your incredible long legs, and I just can't stand it. And then I think of your incredible face, and I want to... Stand outside your building and wait until I get arrested. <laughs> Whoa. We won't even talk about what happens when I think about your sweet, tough, sexy voice. Wait, we can talk about the body? We can't talk about the voice? <laughs> <You're right. laughs> Is that how all you listeners feel? <laughs> so... Tracy was a 35-year-old woman who had led kind of a troubled life um, with bouts of narcotics and alcohol abuse. And she had suicide attempts in her past and some men- a lot of mental health issues. She had actually grown up a, a fairly privileged life with her father was a lawyer. She graduated from Texas A&M with a degree in biology, but She didn't like any of that. And so finally, in 1994, she found a job at a bookstore um, in Austin, and she loved it. She loved it there. She worked like 60 hours a week there. And it was like, you know, Austin's a super eclectic city. Like they're now, not at the time, but now their like city motto is keep Austin weird. Like, Yeah, I invented that. You did not. And she really felt felt like she had found her place there. Mm -hmm. Um, She had been um, kind of a closeted, I don't know why I said kind of, she was a a closeted lesbian Mm -hmm. her whole life. And she felt like she could be out and who she wanted to be there. And so it was very freeing with her. And she had a very open-minded circle of friends through this bookstore. And she was finally comfortable sharing her sexuality with all of them. But in February of 1999, she suffered, like, a very public nervous breakdown at work. She was, like, shrieking and yelling obscenities and threatening violence. And it was at that time that her family and friends checked her into St. David's Pavilion in Austin. Mm -hmm. So she got there a a month before... Celeste did. So this is Crazy Tracy. Okay, so now we're back to the hospital waiting room that night. Remember, Christopher Dosey's like, yeah, I think I know who did this. It was Crazy Tracy. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't the only one suggesting that Tracy might have had something to do with this. When the news of the shooting of Stephen Beard um, kind of broke, a number of people stepped forward and said her name as a possible suspect. Just about everyone, in fact. Mm-hmm. With the exception of Celeste Beard. So when Celeste is asked, she's like, I have no idea who would have done such a thing. No, no idea at all. And literally everybody else is like, yeah, I think it's Crazy Tracy. 
So Celeste set up Tracy to do this? Oh, do you think so? I'm always wrong when I make these predictions, but it certainly seems that way. (laughs) So two days after the shooting, detectives go to um, Tracy Tarleton's apartment and they ask her if she owns a 20 gauge shotgun. And she said, yes. And so Hmm. uh, she was like an avid skeet shooter. And she so she was like, yes, I have one. And she kind of reluctantly gave them her gun. It was actually like a very valuable gun. It was like Italian. It was like, I don't know, thousand dollars. I don't know how much guns cost. Uh, Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say, for some reason, that doesn't strike me as a ton of money for it was engraved with her name. It was made in Italy. You can get a lot of stuff engraved with your name. (laughs) (laughs) So police send it off to the lab for ballistics tests and. Sure enough, it mm-hmm. came back positive for matching that spent shell casing in Stephen Beard's bedroom. On October 8th, six days after the shooting, Tracy Tarleton was arrested and charged with assault. Because at this time, Stephen Beard was still clinging to life. Oh, right. Why not attempted murder? Just assault? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Huh. So, whoever had shot Stephen, Tracy, um, (laughs) had done so in a dark bedroom and had taken kind of poor aim. Luckily for him, they missed his brain and his heart, but his digestive organs were just decimated. Mm -hmm. He went through seven surgeries to repair all of it. Um, And the immediate threat to his life seemed to pass. He was released from the hospital, um, but he was put on heavy antibiotics because, you know, Injuries to the intestines and stuff can lead to sepsis and all kinds of scary infections. He was released from the hospital on January 21st, 2000, and he died four days later at home. He had been in the hospital for months. That seems suspicious. He died of a blood clot. Oh. Yeah. So at that time, Mm -hmm. the charges against Tracy were upgraded to murder. Some accounts say that Celeste was the perfect, you know, wife during all of this time. You know, she was by her husband's side, taking care of him, making sure he had everything he needed. Mm-hmm. And then there was the evidence that suggested that this might not be true. Yeah. Because at the time of his death, Um, Or after his death, Stephen Beard's accountant went through his finances to kind of get everything in order for, you know, the execution of the will and everything. And he discovered that Celeste had spent $321,000 in October and November. So while he was in the hospital. What'd you spend it on? I don't know. Oh, my gosh. And, uh... By December 10th, so that amount was for October and November. Then by December 10th, she'd spent another $249,000. And then the six weeks after that, ending in March, she spent an additional $100,000. So we don't know what for, but definitely not on like hospital costs for him. No. Okay. Gotcha. 
just blowing through money. So this looks odd. You know, she's spending all of his money. Mm-hmm. It also looks odd that this woman that she had this uh, maybe relationship with or that had at least wanted to have a relationship with her, mm-hmm. um, they believed had shot her husband. And investigators were like, yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think this is a coincidence. Yeah. Here. So they believed that Celeste had probably encouraged or asked or paid Tracy to shoot Stephen. Absolutely. But Tracy, maybe many things, but she was not a snitch. Oh, no, Tracy. Poor Tracy. Yeah. I mean, really? Yeah. They offered her all kinds of deals if she would talk. But she refused to speak to them. She sat in the jail awaiting trial, made zero statements month after month. So she had been held on the murder charges. And then she was officially indicted after a grand jury had agreed that there was enough to move forward for mm-hmm. murder. Because there was some question about whether it was murder, whether it was was his death really, you know, could you say murder because he died of a blood clot and all of this stuff. And yeah. so a grand jury was convened and it was decided on February 16th, 2001, that she could be charged with murder and she was indicted on those charges. And then something happened. Tarleton had a revelation, you might say. She was sitting in jail, reading a newspaper. Wait, Tracy had the revelation? Yes. Okay. What'd you call her? Tarleton. It's her last name. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry. Tracy Tarleton. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Had a revelation, Kristen. Uh Uh-huh. She was sitting in jail, reading a newspaper, when she saw something about her beloved Celeste. Celeste had gotten over her loss and had... Gotten remarried. Oh, no. To a bartender and musician named Cole Johnson. They had a lovely private ceremony in the beautiful mountain town of Aspen, Colorado. Mm-hmm. And Tracy was fucking pissed. I bet she was. She had thought that she and Celeste were going to be together. And here she was duped and dumped for a man. Betrayal, betrayal, betrayal. She was enraged. And you know what she did, Kristen? She made a deal. She asked to speak to the prosecutors. And she took a fucking deal. So the prosecutors, 18 months had gone by at this point. She's been sitting in jail for 18 months, hasn't said a word. Uh Uh-huh. And the prosecutors come in and they, you know, they arrange the the meeting or whatever. And they come in. The first words she said are, I did it for Celeste. Mm. Tracy tells the prosecutors that she and Celeste had been in a sexual relationship while they were in St. David's. They had actually, so they actually were both in St. David's together. And then they transferred together to a different mental health facility in Dallas called Timberlawn. And while they were there, um, they were actually caught being intimate. Oh, well, yeah. So 
it wasn't all malarkey, Kristen, as you wanted to believe. No, I for sure believed that they were together. (laughs) (laughs) It was said that buckets of ice water couldn't even keep them apart. What? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) They literally like, I don't know. They were... It wasn't allowed at this facility, sure. and they were literally being pulled apart constantly and given, like, I, on one occasion, they were, like, one of them was given, like, a cold shower afterwards. Oh, like, come yes. on. Come on. <laughs> yes. That's silly. <laughs> so she's just spilling all of this stuff to the prosecutors, yeah, and yeah. she's like, you know, I thought that they, we were going to be together. They had had trysts after they both left the mental health facilities like Tracy really thought this was something and mm-hmm. it seems that Celeste was using was her. using her so Tracy thought very highly of Celeste and she believed that Celeste thought the same and she believed that they would even get married someday mm-hmm. and that Stephen was the obstacle to her happily ever after on an on an episode of I believe Dateline covered this and they talked to like a a psychologist who said that they actually believed that this was maybe a version of uh, some of her mental illness uh-huh. and she like aggrandized things and so she felt that the relationship was more than it actually was yeah um but it didn't it didn't go well They actually came up with like a bunch of ideas together to off Stephen Beard and actually even tried a few things. They poisoned his food a couple of times and nothing worked. And then finally, Celeste and Stephen were supposed to go to Europe for like a several week trip. And the day before it, Celeste called Tracy and she's like, I'm not going to be able to do it. I can't survive a trip with him. I need you to help me. And that's when Tracy came over and shot Stephen. So she, the prosecutors give her a deal. If she will testify against Celeste, testify to all of this, um, she'll be sentenced to 20 years in prison. And she's been betrayed. (laughs) (laughs) So once Tracy gives all of this information, agrees to testify, Celeste was arrested and charged with murder on March 28th. 2002 a judge set her bail at eight million (gasps) dollars because she had so much money accessible to her yeah she so celeste had sold the mansion after like the will because she had you know she got everything remember it was a tiny i'm sorry the mini mini mansion mansion of only five thousand square feet yeah so she sold it um and got like two million dollars mm-hmm and just a few months, at, one year and four months later, she had blown through all of that and only had $7,000 left. How? How do people do this? What is she buying? I don't know. There I, must be things we don't know exist. I mean, seriously. It's nuts. Somehow she did manage to scrape up enough money to hire herself a good lawyer. Okay. She got the best defense attorney in the state of Texas, if not the United States, 
a little man you've probably heard of. A little man? I don't know why I said little. <laughs> I think he's normal size. <laughs> I don't think he's small. Um, Dick DeGarren. Does that name sound familiar? No. He, oh, the na- I'm blanking on the name. The, the. Um, Avocado. Jinx guy. Robert Durst. He represented Robert Durst. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like yeah. he was involved in the whole, the documentary and all of that too. Gotcha. Yes. So he's like the best criminal defense attorney in the state of Texas and one of the best in the United States. So she somehow managed to afford him. Okay. Yeah. But as her trial went underway, the prosecutor told the jurors, Celeste Beard couldn't stand Stephen Beard. She talked to people about how she hated him. He disgusted her. And what happened here is a simple case of a greedy, manipulative defendant who took advantage of a mentally ill woman who was in love with her. She told Tracy that with Steve gone, they could be together. I think that's a pretty good synopsis of what happened. I mean, it seems accurate. Yeah, I totally agree. So Tracy Tarleton took the stand for a total of 15 hours over three oh, days. Oh, that, ooh. Yes. That sounds brutal. Mm-hmm. She took the jurors all through the love affair and through the murder scheme and told them exactly how it happened. She said, I just saw this woman that I loved in a desperate situation trying to find a way to survive this man that was so awful as I was led to believe. She had a plan. She wanted me to shoot him at Toro Canyon with my shotgun, and I was willing to shoot him, and I went, and I did it. She finished by saying that she and Stephen Beard had been betrayed by the same woman. Mm. I feel really bad for Tracy because I I completely think that she was... She was taken advantage of. 100%. 100%. Relatives, friends, psychologists, and colleagues from the bookstore where Tracy worked all testified that they believed that the women had had a sexual relationship. Mm -hmm. The prosecutor produced evidence such as photographs, love notes, cards that were further proof of a relationship. Yeah. But Dick DeGarren said that mountain of evidence was a fantasy of a predatory and aggressive lesbian. Oh, what? Yes. I think that's a terrible argument. The defense boiled their entire argument down to three words. Tracy is crazy. No, fuck that. Fuck that, right? And I don't like where I think he's going with the lesbian thing of like, oh, she was after her. She was trying to recruit someone. Mm -hmm. No. Mm -hmm. No, calm down with that. I think you're picking up exactly what he was trying to put down. He went on to say, this is a case of fatal attraction. No, shut up. Tracy Tarleton is psychotic. She's been diagnosed as having delusions, as hearing voices that aren't there, as seeing things that aren't there. Which I think is probably totally true. And someone took advantage of that. Right. 100%. Yeah. 
knew that this was a totally vulnerable person and knew that they could show them a little bit of affection mm-hmm. and that they would do exactly what they wanted them to do. Yeah. She preyed on her. Yeah, it's going to be a lot harder to get a healthy, totally balanced person to go shoot your husband. Yeah. So why not pick her? Yeah. So during all of her pretrial depositions and everything, Celeste had denied so much as kissing Tracy. She said it had never happened. And they had to be pulled apart. Yeah. So yeah, that okay. statement was read to the jury. Uh-huh. And they were like, there's like dozens of eyewitnesses here yeah, that are no. saying otherwise. Mm-mm. Yeah. Including Celeste's own daughters. Oh my God. Who testified that there was absolutely a relationship between Celeste and Tracy. Uh-huh. The Daughters together spent three days on the witness stand, and they said that she had completely married Steve for his money. For his money. I don't know what I said. Hers. Hers money. Hers money. (laughs) They testified that she would sometimes make comments like, why doesn't he just die already? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, no detail was spared in their testimony. They were asked what the Sunday suck was, and they testified that that was um, every Sunday. Celeste was required to give Steve a blowjob. God, that's so bad. Yeah, they said she would she would rant she would do it, and then she'd rant about it to them, and then she'd run off and either go see Tracy or go see Mister BMW. Ugh. I'm struggling because I feel sorry for Celeste, too. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like she was abused her whole life, and then... I agree. She got with this abusive guy. Yeah. I mean, I... Yeah. I don't... I don't know. I mean, I don't think that he deserved this, obviously. No, no, I don't think he did either, but... He kind of Sunday sucked. (laughs) (laughs) Bankers and accountants testified um, about Celeste's extravagant spending. They said that, you know, the prenuptial agreement said that she would get only $500,000, but that if he died, she would stand to gain about $6 million dollars. Roughly oh, half yeah. of his estate was what was left to him in his in her will in his will mm-hmm. left to her in his will. <laughs> the prosecutor ended up um, or wrapped up the testimony by saying, "Money is what this whole case is about." Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. The jury deliberated for twenty three hours over three wow. days before finding her. Guilty. Yeah, guilty. I'm surprised she was convicted. it took that long. I'm surprised though. it took that long. Yeah, I thought that was a long time for them to deliberate. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if there was like one person that was holding, holding out. out for well, lunch and, the next well, day. Well, no, and I say this because I don't feel sympathetic to Celeste, but you do. I do. Yeah. Well, I think if you... If you if you believe, and I think I do believe mm-hmm. that she had an abusive childhood and like yeah. 
to me, it seems like, okay, she'd had a string of terrible experiences mm-hmm. with men. Yeah. And then this 68-year-old man, I believe, selected her because she was young, because she was pretty, and also yeah. because she was vulnerable. Yeah. No, I mean, you're right. And so I do feel bad for her. And then he implements this rule, obviously. It turns out she she was not so great herself. But I, yeah, I, I don't know. What? You're making faces. Say it. The thing I struggle with is that I think clearly some part of this I mean, she agreed to. That was worth it to her for what she was going to get out of it. Mm -hmm. Like, it was a business transaction. Mm -hmm. I have to do this. I have to put up with this. And I get this in return. Yeah. That's, I think, where I don't feel as sympathetic for her. Sure. Because she entered into it somewhat willingly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, that's tough because you don't know the dynamics. Yeah, exactly. But if it is kind of that situation where, like, I'm with you because you're young and hot. You're yeah. with me because I'm rich and rich. old and I'll probably die. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Yeah. We know what we're getting into. Right. Yeah. Prosecutors did not seek the death penalty in the in the case. And she was um, given a mandatory life sentence. But they did do get to do like a, the victim impact statements mm-hmm. at the sentencing. And Stephen Beard's son said, I hope you burn in hell. Ooh. Yeah. But even worse than that were the statements from Celeste's daughters. Her daughter, Christina, said, you say we turned on you. Well, you turned on us. You turned on the entire Beard family. He let you into his home. He loved you, honored you, obeyed you, and you violated him and murdered him. Shame on you. Wow. Yeah. I thought that was pretty crazy. Did the daughters love this guy? Um, or is it more complicated than I'm trying to make it? No, I think they probably did. Yeah. That's not what Celeste believes. Really? Celeste believes that that statement and their testifying against her was all an act so that they would get their part of his estate. Oh, wow. Because they're legally his children. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, that's a dark possibility, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So who knows? Ugh. Celeste will be 80 years old before she is eligible for parole. Oof. And that's the story of the murder of Stephen Beard. Ooh. So Stephen Beard was betrayal betrayed by Celeste. And Tracy was betrayed by Celeste. And so what did Tracy do? She betrayed Celeste too. Betrayal upon betrayal upon betrayal. betrayal. Got whiplash over here. (laughs) Okay. You ready for this? I am a lottery winner. We just had a crazy lottery thing again here. Did you buy a lottery ticket? No, I already know. You know I'm too cheap. The Powerball was just like seven hundred and fifty-six million or something like that. I know what my chances are. None. <laughs> Did you buy a ticket? No. Why not you? you- I wanted to, and I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
well, guess you won't be a millionaire. No, this is this is a little different because this is a reluctant lottery winner. Uh, yeah, I mean, I heard you say that, uh-huh. and I don't really know what that means. I, I think you'll get it real fast. Okay. First of all, thank you to Reed Forgave, who wrote an incredible article for the New York Times. I'm doing that shitty thing I always do where I don't tell you the headline now oh, okay, because it'll fine. give it away. But okay. again, Reed Forgave, this is like all coming from okay. his amazing article. The year is 2010. And it's Christmas time in Des Moines, Iowa. The hot lotto jackpot is going nuts. Uh-huh. It's growing and growing and growing, and people are pumped. To play, you pick five numbered balls and one hot ball. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Are we twelve-year-old boys? Okay. When, when I got through numbered balls and neither one of us laughed, I was like, "We got this." Lost it at the hot one ball. hot ball. That is one hot ball. Can't say the same for the other one. <laughs> so you get all six right, and you win a ton of money. How much money? You're about to find oh, out. Okay. So as the jackpot grew, more and more people bought tickets. The odds of winning were 1 in 10.9 million. Uh-huh. Would anyone win? One person might. <laughs> On December 23rd, a man walked into a quick trip off I-80 in oh, Des Moines. Love me some quick trip. Everyone does. You know, guys, if you're outside of the Midwest, you're missing out. You are missing out. They are amazing. They're so clean. Uh Uh-huh. A million fountain drink choices. Yes. Ugh. They've got hot dogs. They've got all... And they always say, see you later. See you later. That's right. Yeah. Makes Mm -hmm. you feel like They know you're coming back. (laughs) So this guy walks into Quick Trip. He's a pretty big dude. He's got on a black sweatshirt with the hood up. He has a baseball hat underneath the hood. He's got a black jacket on over everything. No pants. What? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let me guess black pants. <laughs> I just realized I'd only described his top. The waist up. So he walks Totally up. Porky Pig in it. <laughs> so he walks up to the counter with two hot dogs. The cashier said hello. And so did he. And the cashier said, couple of hot dogs? And the man said, yes, sir. The cashier gave him his total, and the man casually asked for two lottery tickets. He got them, paid for his things, went out to his SUV, and drove off. Mm-hmm. Then, on December 29th, 2010, the hot lotto numbers were chosen. 3, 12, 16... 26, 33, and 11. What's the hot ball? That's right. 11 hot ball. (laughs) (laughs) Calm down, Missy. The next day, Iowa lottery officials made a big announcement. There was a winner. Yeah. It's that dude dressed in black with the hat on, Mm -hmm. no pants. They didn't release any surveillance footage or anything, but they just said, hey, hey, everybody, just so you all know. Uh, the quick trip off I-80 in Des Moines sold the winning lottery ticket this week. Someone just won 
$16.5 million. Holy shit. Right? Yeah. Days went by. Tons of people called in. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, I bought the ticket. I lost it, though. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, I, I bought the ticket, but someone stole uh-huh. it from me. Oh, um, hey, my friend just died, and uh, he played the lottery, like, all the time. So should I go to the junkyard and look for... For, through his car for that. Oh ticket. my gosh! <laughs> These were just some of the calls. Oh I my got. gosh! So it was obviously fairly easy to weed out the bullshit. Lottery officials had the video of the man they knew bought yeah. the ticket. They had the serial number of the winning ticket. None of these people matched the description of the man in the video. None of them had the right ticket. For a little while, people thought. Okay, maybe the winner is talking to a financial advisor or something. Yeah. But the days dragged on, and that just seemed less and less likely. Like, what is, what's this dude hemming and hawing about? Yeah. Three months passed. The real lottery winner still hadn't come forward. Six months passed. Still nothing. nothing. Lottery officials were like, what the hell? Yeah. They held press conferences. At one of them, this guy who was like in a suit was like, hey, um, you know, someone has the ticket and the Iowa lottery wants to give the money away. We want someone to come in so we can like show yeah. you the money, give you the money. Come on in. Yeah. Come on, buddy. The people who worked for the lottery had never seen anything like it. Yeah. Sure. Sometimes people don't bother to claim small amounts of money. But this dude won $16.5 million. Right. Where was he? The guy had one year to claim what he'd won. And if he didn't come forward by the deadline, he'd lose all the money. Then... On November 9th, 2011, Iowa lottery officials got a call from a lawyer. He was calling from Quebec, and his name was Philip Johnston. And sure enough, he had the serial number for the winning Mm -hmm. ticket. So Mary Neubauer, who is the VP of External Relations for the Iowa lottery, was Mm -hmm. like, Hey, great. Um, If you don't mind my asking, how old are you? And what were you wearing when you bought the ticket? Uh huh. So, just a quick note: you really cannot see this dude in the surveillance okay. tape, but you kind of get the vibe. People kind of got the vibe just from the voice, uh-huh. you know, everything. They were thinking forties. Okay. So Philip is like, "Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I'm in my sixties, and I was wearing a sports coat and gray flannel." <laughs> <laughs> Casey doesn't want to play taboo with you. Like, you hit that buzzer. That's how it sounded. That was meant to be a buzzer. So he was wearing a sports coat and gray flannel dress pants. 
No. 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 Which I got to say, that's just a bad guess. Gray flannel dress pants? Yeah. I mean, could you be more specific? No kidding. I was wearing Tweety Bird pajama yeah. pants. <laughs> oh, was that the wrong guess? Should I have just said jeans? <laughs> Immediately, Mary was like, mm, no, nope. That's not what the lottery winner was wearing. And the age didn't seem right either. Eventually, Philip was like, eh, you caught me. I told a little fib. I'm actually just helping a client. He got the winning ticket, but he doesn't want to reveal his identity. So kindly hand over the money. Mm, No. And Mary's like, hey, you know, I understand why you wouldn't want to come forward, but you can't do that in Iowa. Yeah. Iowa isn't one of those states where you can win the lottery anonymously. You have to come forward. You have to reveal your identity. Which I think that sucks. I agree. Philip said, well, if that's the case, we might just have to withdraw the claim to this money. We might just have to walk away. What? Brandy, why are you making that face? And why? Who is walking away from $16 million? A guy that already has $18 million? (gasps) So Mary had kind of the same reaction. A little His fleece was white as snow. (laughs) She's like, your client is so obsessed with being anonymous that he's going to forego $16.5 million? So they ended up getting off the phone with each other, and Mary was just like, that is is so weird. (laughs) Weeks went by. And then... An hour and a half before the deadline when the ticket would expire, two lawyers walked into the Iowa Lottery offices. They had the winning ticket. The lawyers said they represented a trust based out of Belize. The president of that trust was Philip Johnston. Oh, I heard him before. Uh Uh Uh-huh. Gray flannel pants. (laughs) Yeah. We are going to get feedback. Other people pooped their pants when they heard you do that the first time. No one saw it coming. Nobody pooped their pants. Not only responsible for people pooping their pants. You guys, you can come forward anonymously. This is not the Iowa lottery. Let us know. So the, the lottery people were like, this is strange. They started asking basic questions. Okay, you guys have the winning ticket, but who bought the ticket? Yeah. The lawyers were like, I don't want to say. <laughs> they pulled a steward. They were like, <laughs> Finally, the it's Iowa. A bad TV reference, in case you didn't pick it up. In listeners. case you're too young and cool. In case, <laughs> in case you aren't as cool as we are. <laughs> Finally, the Iowa lottery people were like, you know what? This is so weird. We're not giving you the money. <gasps> yeah. Wow. Can they do that? I mean, I guess they can. They're the bosses. <laughs> they make the rules. Yeah, they were basically like, no. In fact, they thought it was so weird that they called in the authorities. Uh-huh. Soon, the state's attorney general's office and the Iowa Di- Division of Criminal Investigation mm. launched a probe. Oh! <laughs> 
So I'm quoting from Amer- an, an episode of American Greed. As I couldn't resist. <coughs> I feel you like killed me. I feel like <laughs> I have for sure complained about this on the podcast before. But when I worked at a newspaper, I had an editor who like I mean, the word probe was in at least three headlines a week. Yeah. And you know, on the one hand, you can't blame him because you know you gotta bump up the font size and investigation is too long a yeah. word. But my God, the probes. <laughs> my God, my God, God, the, God probing. the probes. It went nowhere. Mm-hmm. The investigation lasted for like three years, and the thing did not have wheels. It became sort of a joke around the office. But finally, after years and years of a whole lot of nothing, the deputy attorney general dropped the file on the desk of a young prosecutor named Rob Sand. And he said something sarcastic like, happy birthday. Uh Uh-huh. As far as cases go, this was a shitty one. But Rob loved this kind of stuff. He loved going after financial crimes. Yeah. He called them crimes against gratitude. (laughs) This guy has like the cutest little baby face you've ever seen in your life. (laughs) Rob looked through the file and quickly realized that the only real card he could play was the surveillance tape from that quick trip. The only way to find this guy was to release the video to the public and hope someone would recognize him. Mm -hmm. So I saw this in some other, other article that like, so this was one of the few quick trips where they had actually, they captured video, but they also captured audio. Yeah. When you said that earlier, I was like, what security camera captures audio? Yeah. This was, this was like, I guess, a super high tech quick trip. Hmm. The other interesting thing is that in the article, they talk about the man who bought the tickets having a very distinct kind of twang to his voice. Oh. And like, I mean, like, noticeable. They Uh thought, like, man, we released this thing. People are going to know. So I watched an episode of American Greed about this, and I was, like, super stoked to listen to this audio. I don't know if I'm, like, Midwest trash and the twang is lost on me. You can't hear the twang? I can't. I mean, it's it's not like, oh, there's a twang there. I don't know. I I felt really weird because I was like, it sounds like a normal dude to me. Oh, my gosh. But anyway, that's just my issues. <laughs> so this seemed like a massive long shot. In the tape, you hear the guy speak a few times, but you I swear, you cannot see this dude's face at all. Like, you get a sense of him. Yeah. But you just. Yeah, there's just nothing. No, nothing. It's just like this blurry 74-second clip of a guy you can't see buying hot dogs and lottery tickets. Man, those Quick Trip hot dogs, though, they're so good. I have to tell a story on Norman. Okay. And if he gets embarrassed, I'm going to cut this. He did not know that there are buns available. (laughs) (laughs) What's he just taking the dog? (laughs) It's in the steam drawer, buddy. (laughs) So... (laughs) So 
black plate trip, like just so you guys get a yeah, sense. Yeah, there's like they have a giant roller grill. I mean, yes. they've got taquitos, they've got hot dogs, they've got spicy hot dogs, they've got everything. Your those weird buffalo chicken tube okay, things. That's, that's what Norman would always get is the weird buffalo chicken things. Yeah, he did not know that underneath the roller there's like a steam tray where you pull yeah. out and you can get buns. A, a plastic container with a bun in it, and then you open that up and you put your dog in it. <laughs> Norman had been going to Quick Trip for years before one time we went with my parents and my mom opened that drawer and he was like, oh, (laughs) was he wondering like what the fuck people were doing with these hot dogs? Part of me wonders if that's why he got the buffalo chicken thing. Probably. I don't understand how all these people are eating these hot dogs without a fucking bun. Hey, he looks great from the carbs he cut, not knowing about those buns. (laughs) So Rob figured that releasing the video was the only way to catch this guy. So in October of 2014... Oh my gosh. I mean, time has passed. He released the video. I'm... I'm, What? (sighs) What? What crime has this man committed? What do you... What are you... Okay. This is... That's such a good question right now. What are you thinking right now? I I literally do not know. It's so weird. He bought a lottery ticket in disguise and then he didn't claim the money. The fiend. (laughs) What's the worst? Like, think of the worst explanation. Um, he's a secret serial killer. I don't well, know. Why would no? <laughs> what is that? Where your mind always goes? Like, why wouldn't he claim a lottery ticket? Yeah, because his face would be everywhere, and people know that he's a serial killer. How would they know that he's a? Okay, fine. Yeah, just someone who doesn't want their face out yeah. there. Yeah. Okay, because maybe they've done some bad stuff before. Yeah, that's okay. what I'm saying. Okay. Incredibly. People did recognize the man in the tape. And all the people who recognized him had links to the lottery. The receptionist for a lottery office recognized him. An employee at the main lottery recognized him. What? A web developer for the Iowa lottery recognized him. At first, some of them couldn't believe it, but the more they listened to the tape and the more they studied the tape, the more certain they became. The man in the video was Eddie Tipton, and he was the information security director for the Multi-State Lottery Association. What? Uh Uh-huh. Which means he can't buy lottery tickets. Nope. Nope. Pretty funny, huh? That he can't buy lottery tickets. And And he fucking wins? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, the odds are like, Yeah, how did he... Hmm. How How did he fix the lottery? Wait, what? Brandy, whoa. (laughs) He 100% fixed the drawing. How did he do it? No, this is just like... He had incredible luck no. and then realized, oh, oh, shit, no. right. Oh, oh I don't even idiot. got a gamble so lottery uh, ticket. Oh, what a dummy. Uh, Wasted this $16 million. So the Multi-State Lottery Association supervises lotteries in a bunch of different states mm-hmm. and territories. And one of those states was Iowa. Mm-hmm. Still is, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's still called Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I away. Last, last I heard. Everyone was stunned. People loved Eddie. Growing up just outside of Houston, Texas, Eddie had been kind of the classic computer geek. He went to college at the University of Houston and studied information technology. He'd done well at the Multi-State Lottery Association. He got promotions, and he made almost six figures. What's, what are you doing over there? I was trying to, like, stick my straw in further because there's only a little bit of drink left, but it's making so much noise, so I was trying to do it in slow motion so that you wouldn't hear it. Instead, I looked over. <laughs> I can't even describe the look on your face. Neither can I. This is why we need to videotape this stuff. Do you need a Diet Coke? Do you? I mean, you weirdo. Good to the last drop. I hate to tell you, she's gone. It's done. <laughs> That's a dead soldier there. Oh. You've never heard someone call an empty drink a dead soldier? No. And then like when someone leaves like a half empty one behind, they call it a wounded soldier? No. What, never heard what circles are you running in? No, I just heard that's insane! Why would anyone say that? <laughs> like when you're cleaning up after a party. It's like, I got a bunch of finished drinks. No! No, I've never heard that. That seems so offensive. <laughs> so the one time you said it, you said it while we were recording ourselves? Any other horrible things you want to say? <laughs> oh, jeez. I'm sorry. <laughs> Do you want a Diet Coke? <coughs> you just want to sit no, there? Thank you. I'm great. Uh-huh. <laughs> so he wasn't a flashy guy. Okay, I had trouble with this. So he, his car had more than 300,000 miles on it. Well, so. Holy shit. Yeah. But he did have a big, like, 5,000 square foot house. Mm, mini mansion, I've heard those called. Well, that's when they're 5,300. This is only 500, <laughs> oh, <okay>. 5,000. <laughs> um, but they also said, but he did a lot of the work on it himself. I don't know. Some of the descriptions of how he lived, I'm like, but you also said he worked 60 hours a week. How yeah. did he do all that? Right. On 5,000 square foot house, how's he doing most of the work on yeah. it himself? No. Yeah. Eddie was close to his family back in Texas, but he was alone. He was all alone in that huge house, and he was lonely. He wanted a family of his own, but that didn't seem to be in the cards. So he threw himself into work. And luckily, there was a ton to do, and he did it all. He wrote software, he handled network security, he worked on web pages. The dude worked 60-hour weeks. And it seemed like he'd figured out a way to rig the lottery in his favor. Mm-hmm. Sure sounds like he's rigged the lottery uh-huh. in his favor. By that point, investigators had discovered that the man who gave the winning lottery ticket to those attorneys was a Texas man named Robert Rhodes. So, did Robert and Eddie know each other? Obviously. Authorities did what any good investigators would do. They looked on Facebook. Yeah. 
in this particular instance, they looked on LinkedIn. But I mean, like, there's a lot of Facebook in this. Yes. So they went to Eddie's LinkedIn page, scrolled through his friends list, yeah. discovered that sure enough, Eddie and Robert knew each other. Yeah, obviously. In fact, Eddie used to work for Robert's software company, Systems Evolution. Eddie was the company's COO for six years. Mm-hmm. Investigators later learned that the two guys were long-term friends. Oh. They'd vacation together. Long-term friends, like how we're long-term That's friends. That's what I meant. Okay, like, yeah. I liked that it was like us. Yeah, just like us. <laughs> just like how I got that lotto ticket, and I was like, Brandy, you're going to have to take this. <laughs> I couldn't possibly show my face. <laughs> In January 2015, authorities had enough to arrest Eddie. They charged him with two counts of fraud. In his opening statement, Prosecutor Rob Sand told the jury that this was a classic story about an inside job. He said, A man who by virtue of his employment is not allowed to play the lottery, nor allowed to win, buys a lottery ticket, wins, and passes the ticket along to friends to be claimed by someone unconnected to him. This story, though, has a 21st century twist. How did Eddie do it? What is it? Yeah, how did he rig the lottery? Truth was, Rob wasn't sure. (laughs) But he had a theory. Okay. Rob told the jury about the room where the Multi-State Lottery Association draws the winning numbers. So it's a pretty small room, and it's always under video surveillance. I was going to say, it's secured all the time. Right. I'm a lottery expert. (laughs) I said that like it was fact, and I made it up. I assume it's secured all the time. You assume it's not just like some laptop sitting out at Starbucks, right? exactly. No, so it's always under surveillance, and there are two computers in there. They're in locked boxes. Mm -hmm. Rob argued that Eddie went into that room while two other people were in there, and when the people in there weren't looking, he installed a flash drive into one of the computers. And on that flash drive, there was malicious software, which took control of the computer and then deleted any evidence of of its existence once it was done. He messed with the video surveillance system to make sure that none of this was caught on camera. And that's how Eddie got the winning lottery numbers. But they can't prove that. So it's interesting. It's a great theory, but how do you prove that? He didn't have to prove prove how he did this Mm -hmm. just that he bought it and he shouldn't have yeah and that he tried to get the winnings through fraudulent means so technically he did you're right that's totally true yeah you technically didn't Mm -hmm. have to (laughs) (laughs) technically did not have to prove that he fixed it yeah what do you think of that theory uh yeah i mean i think it sounds workable okay but oh i'm guessing it's not (laughs) Um, I mean, it could happen. To me, it sounded far-fetched. Okay. And I think I think it helps to see how far-fetched it is when, like, in the episode of American Greed, they showed footage, and it's, like, this small room with three people in it, and, mm. like, how the... I mean, he's... I just... It just doesn't seem... Yeah. Yeah. Defense attorney Dean Stowers was like, I don't think so. That sounds like a dumb movie. <laughs> I call that one... The mission impossible theory. So he was actually pretty good. I know. (laughs) (laughs) He was so he just 
made fun of this theory. Mm -hmm. He was like, really? So he used his magic software in the presence of two colleagues? And he did all of this completely undetected? So the prosecution did not enjoy being mocked. And Rob was like, hey, hey, shut up, everybody. That was just one theory. You know, there are a number of ways he could have rigged this thing. He wrote the code. He had access to the random number generators before they went out to other states. All we have to prove here is that Eddie illegally bought lottery tickets, which is not allowed because he's a lottery employee, and we have to prove that he tried to claim the prize money through fraudulent means. That's all we have to prove. Mm -hmm. We don't have to know the ins and outs of how he did it. And come on, he for sure did it. Mm -hmm. Eddie's defense attorney, Dean Stowers, made a pretty straightforward argument. The guy in the surveillance video? Not Eddie. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) The guy. Tell me more. Okay. You ready for this? Uh I'm sorry. I got that song stuck in my head. The guy in the surveillance video had a beard. And at the time of that recording, Eddie did not have a beard. Oh, yeah. That's that's not convincing me of anything. (laughs) He... He brought Eddie's brother, Tommy, to the stand, and he asked him, did Eddie have a beard that Christmas? And Tommy said no. But it seemed pretty clear that the man in the tape was Eddie. Yeah. Colleagues had recognized him, and the prosecution showed that at the time those tickets were purchased, Eddie told everyone he was out of town, but his cell phone records showed that he was Mm -hmm. in town. Mm -hmm. And also... He had been on the phone with his BFF, Robert Rhodes, for 71 minutes. Mm -hmm. In closing arguments, the defense focused on the prosecution's theory about Eddie obtaining the lottery numbers with the thumb drive. Dean quoted Albert Einstein, saying, Logic will get you from A to B. Imagination will get you anywhere. Ooh. Ooh. The jury found him guilty yep and the judge sentenced him to 10 years in holy prison. shit right right 10 years i was shocked i was shocked that seems like a lot i of was time. thinking like 30 days and five years of probation or something and don't you dare do that again i mean what the fuck i yeah i was 10 years I was really, really surprised because... People kill people and don't get that much time. Uh, yeah, I... I mean, a nonviolent crime... I'm I, telling you, the fucking American justice system, financial crimes are punished so much harder, it seems like. Yeah, but to me it almost seems like... And also a factor is how rich are you when you get caught? Because yeah. this guy wasn't super rich. Yeah. It didn't seem, well, I, I don't know. He I made was, six figures and he had a 5,000 square foot home. I mean, the funny thing is, like, in some of the stuff I saw, they were like, he made barely six figures. Ba- how did he, he afford was barely scraping by with six figures? <laughs> but he, they said, like, he made barely six figures. How could he have afforded this $500,000 home? And I'm thinking, I, you know, that seems... I think that's totally doable. That doesn't yeah. seem like a stretch to me. Especially if you're a single guy. I mean, yeah. So I, there was there were parts of things yeah, that I read that dumb. were kind of like, I, you know, I yeah, don't quite I get that. that. Yeah. 
Anyway, Eddie appealed, and his case went all the way to the Iowa Supreme Court! So remember how the investigation into this cheating scandal lasted for, like, years and years and years and years. Eddie's lawyers thought that was a problem. They argued that the length of the investigation was unjustified and that the statute of limitations had expired. They had a pretty good case. I say that sounds pretty good. Well, and I didn't do a deep dive yeah. into the investigation, but it really did seem like yeah. they did kind of a shit job. Because, mm-hmm. And I hate to be all crappy to people because I'm sure they had other things to investigate oh, yeah. and you know, probably much more dangerous criminals out yeah. there. But I mean, it really did seem like We'd sure like to talk to this person. Oh, they're kind of hard to get a hold of. <laughs> yeah. well, I'll try again in three months. You know, yeah. it's just, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely was not a top priority. Yeah. So they had this pretty good case going to appeal. But there was just one problem. Shortly after Eddie's first trial ended, prosecutor Rob Sand got a phone call. The area code was 281. That's a Texas. It is. It's Houston. Two eight one three three zero eight zero zero four. There's this rap song. Mike Jones. Who he gave out his phone number in his. He did. That was his actual phone number, and I don't know why. I still remember to say. I'm fucking telling you, I could cure cancer if shit wasn't stuck up here. (laughs) Wow. You remember Mike Jones? Do you remember? Say my name enough, and I'm taking you home. Yes, I remember Mike Jones. (laughs) He and Paul Wall were good buddies. (laughs) Let me see your grill. Yeah, your grill. Yeah, yeah, your grill. (laughs) I am so sorry for anyone who like is tuning into this for the first time. This is an after dark episode. We're off the rails. (laughs) So this was a Texas area code, as you pointed out. Thank you so much to Mike Jones. Who? <laughs> so Rob answers the phone. Oh, I forgot to say this. It covered the area where Eddie used to live. <laughs> Sorry. And the caller was like, hey, I just saw an article about Eddie Tipton going to prison. Something about a lottery scam. Mm-hmm. And Rob's like, yeah. And the guy goes, did y'all know that Eddie's brother Tommy Tipton won the lottery? Maybe about ten years back. What? Uh huh. What? Yes. Yes. So he was fixing the lottery. Hmm. Hmm. What was going on here? Maybe it's a big coincidence. No, right? it's not a coincidence. You know, maybe it's fate. <laughs> maybe it's God. No. <laughs> Rob was like. Oh, shit. Oh, no. So he called the FBI, and he got agent Richard Renison. Rob told him what he'd just learned, and Richard goes, Hey, that's my Bigfoot case. (laughs) My Bigfoot case? Yeah. Okay. So what the hell did he mean by that? Well... Richard said that in 2006, a man named Tom Vargas reached out to law enforcement with a weird story. Uh-huh. So Tom owned a ton of fireworks stands in, in Texas. So basically, yeah. he, he made huge Texas money. Texas Tom's crazy fireworks. Do you think this is the guy? <laughs> <laughs> 
you know what? You know Papa No seafood? And I was like, Brady knows everything about Texas. So basically, this dude makes a ton of money twice a year. Right after the 4th of July and right after New Year's. And after those holidays, he'd have just tons of cash on his hands. So a little after New Year's, a local justice of the peace, who Tom sort of knew, called him. And he said, I got uh, half a million in cash that I want to swap with your money. And Tom, of course, thought that was super Super weird. weird. Yeah. So he reached out to the police and that's how... FBI agent Richard Renison got involved. They put a wire on Tom and they had him meet with the justice of the peace. And the justice of the peace had these crisp, beautiful bills. And he wanted Tom's like nasty, sweaty, wrinkled bills. Yeah. And by the way, justices of the, of the peace apparently make like 35 grand a year. So, you know, authorities were like, uh, Mm, something sketches mm -hmm. up here. Yeah. The FBI was like, okay, this is clearly some sort of public corruption deal. So they kept an eye on the guy, and they ran serial numbers on all the bills. Then, a couple months later, Richard got a call. It was from a sheriff in LaGrange, Texas. And the dude was, like, cracking up laughing. He goes, you know that justice of the peace you've been tracking? Well, he's at the hospital in Houston... He has two broken legs. What? <laughs> Would you like to know how he, how he got two broken legs? Did Bigfoot do it? <laughs> Bigfoot broke his legs? He fell out of a tree. <laughs> <laughs> it's not nice. It's not nice. But he fell out of a <laughs> He fell out of a tree while he was hunting Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, Richard is like, <laughs> Bigfoot heard the thud and ran off. At this point, Richard is like, What the fuck? <laughs> He's like, Enough is enough. <laughs> So he went to meet with the guy, and he's like, dude, here's what we know about you. What's going on here? Yeah. (laughs) And the guy goes, well, I'm a member of the Bigfoot Field Research. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) This is so ridiculous. Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization. Oh, excuse me. (laughs) It's a very real organization about a very fake thing. So he's like, I'm a member of this organization, and a while back, I went to Colorado to hunt Bigfoot. And while I was out there, I won the lottery. But here's the thing, I can't stand my wife, and I don't want to share, I didn't want to share my winnings with her. So I had my friend go collect the money, and I gave him 10% of it, yada, yada, Mm -hmm. yada. So Richard double-checked everything the man said, and sure enough, I mean, it all checked out. He was about to finish the interview (laughs) when the guy turned to his lawyers and was like, can I show him 
Oh so, what's he going to show? So, there was this plastic grocery bag hanging on the back of his chair. And so, he grabbed the grocery bag and he pulled out a plaster cast of a footprint. No, oh, Bigfoot's footprint. But it was like the size of the FBI agent's foot. <laughs> and so, a small footprint. So, Richard. Not being polite at all, was like, that doesn't look like Bigfoot. And the guy was like, it was a juvenile. <laughs> it's a baby, Bigfoot. <laughs> you jerk. <laughs> so, by the way. By the way, obviously, this justice of the peace. So this justice of the peace wasn't just some dude. It was Tommy Tipton, mm-hmm. Eddie's brother. Mm-hmm. So that investigation ended in nothing, but in light of what authorities now knew about Eddie, they knew it was no coincidence that Tommy uh, had won yeah. the lottery. Authorities started combing through years' worth of lotteries from anywhere where the multi-state lottery association did business. This was a huge job. They had data on 45,000 winning lotteries. They had to go through all of Eddie's friends and family. And they were like, okay, did any of these people win the lottery? And I think, I really think they just like pulled up his Facebook friends. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Because that's the easiest way to do it. Absolutely. Sure enough, in like 2007, Robert Rhodes, Eddie's long-term friend, won $783,000 in the Wisconsin lottery. Another one of Eddie's friends won $644,000 in an Oklahoma lottery. Holy shit. He's fixing the lottery just as I suggested. <laughs> you suggested? I didn't suggest it to him. I That's suggested it earlier in this case as a theory. <laughs> Brandy goes around to all the lottery officials and she's like, I suggest. I suggest you fix the lottery. Excuse me, sir. Might I humbly suggest? Were I to be in your position, I might fix the lottery. (laughs) Two of Eddie's friends won $15,000 each in the Kansas lottery. In total, they found six of these instances. Investigators went and met with these people. I thought this was interesting. One of the Kansas winners was Amy Warwick. Are you okay? Are you still thinking about Bigfoot? It was a juvenile. (laughs) He's out there, Brandy. (laughs) I have to break both my legs to find out. I will, damn it! (laughs) Tell me about the winners in the Kansas lottery. The guy was 31 feet up in the tree. (laughs) One of the Kansas winners was Amy Warwick. She immediately spilled the beans. She was like, 
I went on one date with Eddie. Then we just became friends. And then one day he called me and was like, I have a winning lottery ticket and I can't claim it because of my job. If you claim it, you can keep some of it as an engagement present. Hmm. All right. So it seemed that some of these people had like varying levels of involvement. Yeah. And many of them thought they were doing something that was like not illegal, but maybe shady. Yeah. You know. More of like a frowned upon thing. Should I not have done that? Yeah. If I had known. Yeah. I didn't know I couldn't do that. (laughs) What are you quoting? Are you quoting Seinfeld? Oh. (laughs) I was quoting Seinfeld. You were quoting Dave Dave Chappelle. Chappelle. (laughs) I just noticed we were both giving each other knowing looks. And I felt like there was something (laughs) off. So the prosecution started building its case. So far, this was a lot like Eddie's first trial. Investigators knew something fishy was going on. They knew he'd rigged the system in his favor, just as Brandy suggested. Yes. But they didn't know my idea. (laughs) (laughs) But they didn't know how he rigged it. Are we gonna find out? Yeah. (gasps) Yay. (laughs) I fucking love this case. Do you really? Yes. Luckily. Wisconsin still had the computers they'd used for their 2007 jackpot. They were sitting in storage, which I think was kind of a no-no. They were supposed to like destroy yeah. everything, but luckily Wisconsin was yeah. not on the ball. So they busted them out, and an expert went in to try to see if the computer could reveal any clues. Yeah. Sure enough, the guy found several lines of code that shouldn't have been there. Mm-hmm. This next part is somewhat complicated, so I'm just going to give the bare bones. Yeah. It's not like Eddie picked all the numbers. Mm-hmm. And he didn't always know which numbers would win every lottery in every state. Like, it's not that simple. What, did he narrow it way down? Right. Yeah. So what he did, what he did with this code was if the lottery drawing was one was on three specific days... So May 27th, Mm -hmm. November 23rd, or December 29th, Mm -hmm. then the random number generator basically wouldn't do its normal job. Mm -hmm. Instead, it would switch. And instead of selecting truly random numbers, Mm -hmm. it would select from a much smaller handful of numbers. So thanks to this code, Eddie knew when to buy the tickets, and he knew that if he played from a relatively small group of numbers, and he played all of those possibilities... Mm -hmm. He'd win the lottery. Yeah. So back in Iowa, when he won 16 points. It's funny because that was my first thought when you told us the winning numbers. Really? Is they seem so close together. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that. Yes. That's really interesting. Yeah. Another interesting thing. So these dates, you know, they're just three dates. But they pointed out they're all close to vacation times. Oh, yeah. So he could, like, be away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Have an excuse to, like, leave and not yeah. be noticed around mm-hmm. the office. So back in Iowa, when he won $16.5 million, everyone else's odds were, like, 1 in 10.9 million. Mm-hmm. His were, like, 1 in a couple hundred. Oh, my gosh. That was his scheme. When his brother went on his Bigfoot hunt in Colorado... Eddie knew that he could easily predict the winning lottery numbers there. So he was like, Tommy, while you're in town, 
you need to play all these numbers. And he handed him this big legal pad filled with numbers. And he was like, just play all of them. Authorities had finally figured out how Eddie rigged the game. But remember, he was still sitting in prison and his case was getting appealed. Mm -hmm. So prosecutor Rob Sand went to him and was like, look, I know what you did. I'm going to give you a plea deal. And as part of this plea deal, you have to tell us everything. But if you lie or if we figure out that, you know, someone else who is somehow linked to you wins the lottery, this plea deal goes bye-bye and we'll bring a ton of new charges. Mm -hmm. Since Eddie's previous conviction was sort of on shaky grounds with the statute of limitations argument, Rob said, okay, regardless of what the Supreme Court ends up deciding, if you take this plea deal, we'll vacate your conviction. And that ended up being a pretty good idea because the Supreme Court did end up yeah. overturning his conviction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By this point, Eddie's brother Tommy was obviously in trouble too. And Eddie's long-term friend had already pled guilty for his involvement uh-huh. and was working with the prosecution. Uh-huh. Betrayal upon betrayal upon betrayal. I would never do that to you, Kristen. I wouldn't do that to you either. Mm-mm. I'd be like, I'm never going to talk. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So Eddie took the plea deal. As part of his agreement, his brother was only sentenced to 75 days in prison. Um, this part did make me feel something for Eddie. Like his, his brother had kids. Mm-hmm. And so he was concerned about making sure that, you know, his brother spent yeah. as much time with his family as possible. Yeah. But at the hearing, Eddie and his attorneys downplayed what he did. He'd just helped his friends and family. He was just doing something nice for people who needed a little extra money. No. His attorney said that basically what Eddie had done was count cards. No. (laughs) Why do you say that? That's not the same. Yes, it is, Brandy. He didn't go into the casino with a gun. (laughs) I agree he didn't do that. He just counted cards. No, he didn't because he changed the game. Hmm. Yeah. It's it's counting cards if he stole half the deck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, it's not the same. Yeah. And even that doesn't work because like everyone else is playing with the full deck. Yeah. So, yeah no, it, yeah. it's totally wrong. Uh, the judge found all that bullshit pretty annoying. Yeah. And he was like, you're really downplaying your actions, buddy. Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't know if it was a male judge. The judge. So-and-so. Him, her, they, whatever. Yeah. In interviews and statements, he talked like this was just something kind of that happened to him. It was kind of interesting. He was like, you know, I just put in the code to see if it would work. And it did. No. You know, it just kind of was there. It's kind of tempting. Well, he tried to like office space it. Be like, I was only supposed to steal a fraction of a penny. And Uh Then I stole a stapler and yeah. millions of dollars. <laughs> Someone, I think it was the prosecutor, said something like, it's really tempting when you've got a money tree in your backyard. Like, you can't just stop picking yeah. it. And that's yeah, basically what that's this guy exactly had. it. Yes. Yeah. The prosecution argued that Eddie was just a common thief, not some criminal mastermind. My understanding is he didn't even, like, really write this code. It was mm-hmm. just a code he found, and he plugged it in, mm-hmm. and, you know, it worked. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
What do you think he was sentenced to for that? I don't know because I thought the 10 years was crazy before. So Okay. Well, jack up the crazy. What yeah, do you, exactly. What, what do you I got? know 45 years oh, or well, some okay. bullshit. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Um, the judge sentenced him to a maximum of 25 years. Holy in prison. shit! I know. I know. Um, That's insane! I kind of agree. So, people speculate that he'll probably get out in like seven years. Mm-hmm. Eddie was ordered to pay $2.2 million in restitution. Does he have $2.2 million? I'm, well, here's the thing. So, his he and his brother, between the two of them, I believe they had... Quite a few rental properties. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I doubt that all adds up to two point two million dollars, but I I don't know. Mm. And that brandy is the story of the biggest lottery scam in American history. That was fucking amazing. <laughs> I loved it. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I the Bigfoot thing, right? Talk about a plot twist. Holy Did shit. Did not see it coming. No, not at all. You got any uh, show notes this week? Okay, I only off the top of my head, so they're going to be half wrong. Okay. Do you remember the milkshake murder, that case you did? Yes. Yes, okay. So I believe it was Grant reached out to us on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And you know how we had been freaking out about like the lady going and getting $5,000 haircuts? Yeah. He suggested, maybe did did we mean five thousand yen? Yeah, I don't and, know. And I saw that, and like I looked 600. back at the articles that I pulled from, and maybe, but it did not specify that. Okay, but, I mean, I he's probably on the right track because I mean, I can't imagine what fucking haircut costs five thousand dollars. I don't know. Six hundred dollars is more believable. I agree. Yeah. Um, then I keep meaning to mention this thing, and I keep forgetting, but Jessica. Mm-hmm. Um, was the was the person who a while back was like, "You ruined Subway for me. Oh yeah, you ruined McDonald's for me. Don't come for Chipotle." And then and then you did. The next you came week, for Chipotle. I came for Chipotle, real hard. <laughs> did it? Oh, that's <laughs> sorry. That <laughs> I'm so sorry, <laughs> and I'm still burning. <laughs> <laughs> Apologize for that. We might cut that because yeah. this has been this just has disgusting. Been just a, this has been ridiculous. <laughs> At the end of that episode, we were like, well, you know, did this really ruin Chipotle? So we asked. Yeah. Jessica, let us know. Yeah. Did this ruin Chipotle for you? Okay. So Jessica, <laughs> poor Jessica, <laughs> tweeted. I'm going to read this tweet. I start up Let's Go to Court during my nice birthday afternoon. Three minutes later, I've never been so betrayed by a podcast. <laughs> We're so sorry, Jessica. <laughs> and then later she wrote, at least I still have. Wait, I'm not falling for this again. <laughs> <laughs> and then I I don't have this tweet in front of me, but I believe her wife, Kate, uh, later tweeted at us and was like, uh, yeah, you ruined that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's like, yeah, what am I supposed to get her for dinner now? <laughs> So, uh, sorry, Jessica. Sorry, Kate. Yes. Uh, we, I, guys, I'm really sorry for Kristen's actions. I was about to say we didn't mean to, but then I was like, no, I did it knowingly. totally did it knowingly. Yeah, well. Yeah. You know, I just wanted to put the code in and see if it would work. (laughs) I mean, I had the code. I just wanted to see if it would work. 
Hmm. Um, boy, have I got something to talk to you about. Okay. I just read about this today, and I wish that we could do a whole podcast on it, but I just don't think it's going to be possible. What it's is not going to be enough information. This woman today filed a $500 million lawsuit mm-hmm. against TGI Fridays. What? What? For their potato skin potato chips. Uh-huh. Because they do not contain any potato skins. Ew, what do they contain? They're made of potatoes. Oh, well then get over it, lady. Yes, they don't have potato skins in them. And she was led to believe <laughs> <laughs> that by the... Uh, she even cited some Idaho potato farming coalition oh. as leading her to believe that potato skins are healthy. Mm-hmm. So she thought when she was eating these TGI Friday's potato skin yes. potato chips that yes. she was ingesting a healthy snack. Oh, I compl- I am I'm sobbing right now, guys. I don't know if that's clear. Okay. I'm so upset. In what for her. fucking world is a potato skin just correlated as a healthy snack? <laughs> I can tell you that when I need a healthy meal, I, I had for a right, potato skin. I had right to TGI Fridays. <laughs> I gotta tell you, from my horrid summer that I worked there yeah. as their worst waitress ever, um, the most they popular still talk item. about it today. <laughs> Remember that lady who dropped, well, that girl who dropped the ranch dressing on that dude's lap. The most popular entree there was the sizzling chicken and cheese, and it was just oh, a yeah. skillet. Oh, with, disgusting! Yeah, Mm-mm. I can't even nope tell you about it. Gross. Yeah, not not good. Very healthy though. Yeah, Very healthy. super healthy. Um, so my prediction, I'm putting this out there right now. That she gets a hundred million. Is that dollars. this case will be thrown out immediately. <laughs> <laughs> we are legal geniuses. <laughs> See how this thing shakes out. I will be following it and I will update our listeners at a later date. I just laughed so hard when I oh, read that ridiculous. article. Yes. You know the thing I'm well, two things that I'm obsessed with mm-hmm. right now. Theranos? Yes. Yes. Oh. oh my gosh. I did a deep dive the other day. Read did you all- really? Yes. I did the same thing. Oh my gosh. I'm obsessed with it. I love it. It um, is nuts. There's an there's a documentary right now on HBO. Oh, there is? Yes. It's it's funny because it doesn't Oh yes, yes. yes. I did I saw that. I mean I haven't watched it, but yeah. I did see that it's on there. Um it's funny, the ratings aren't great for it. So I was like, oh no, it's gonna be bad. I was fascinated. I was totally fascinated. I'm not going to watch Abducted in Plain Sight. It only has a 54 on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) That sounds nothing like me. (laughs) No, I'm I'm fascinated by this woman. Like, yeah. And the thing I like about this documentary is that I feel like they do kind of a nuanced job of like, you know, a lot of these entrepreneurs are, they do make shit up. Yeah. And when you're doing this kind of thing, you, so it's, it, you know, obviously she was full of shit and obviously, you know, there was terrible stuff going on there, but you, they do kind of take you into. Yeah. What startup culture is like. Okay. I feel like there's another case that's going on right now that is like in the same vein ish, Uh not in the medical field, but about like fraud and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been following the the Soho 
chick, Anna... Anna Delvey. I am... My mind is blown by this. Obsessed. I'm obsessed. I've been obsessed since last summer. Yeah. Also, I mean, now this is just stuff we're obsessed with. The college admission scandal. Yes. I'm I'm so obsessed. I'm watching like the same news clips. No one has new information. No, there's no new information. Uh, But, man... I guess we really do like legal stuff, Kristen. We love this stuff. I guess it I think it Checks shows. Out. I think it shows. Because <laughs> this is like the most fun ever. Yes. <laughs> um, should we talk about our goal? Our yeah. goal is 200. Um, We're sitting at 197 right now. I'm I'm so happy. I know oh, I know I need to gosh. save the happiness until we Yeah, get save it until we get to 200, but Oh my gosh you guys have like blown it out of the water thank yeah. you to everyone who has left a rating or a review on itunes and uh well if you haven't then we're very disappointed in you we're not mad we're just disappointed um but also you know while you're doing that i'm sure you're gonna have your computer out mm-hmm. right head on over find us on social media we're on I don't know, a bunch of them. What are we on, Brandy, Kristen? come on. Twitter. I love how it, I just get to sit so, back. I know, you never say anything. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on YouTube, we're on Reddit. Find us any of those places. And then uh, join us next week. When we'll be experts on two whole new topics. Podcast adjourned. And now for a note about our process. I read a bunch of stuff, then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary. And I copy and paste from the best sources on the web, and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. For this episode, I got my info from the Just a Dollar and a Scheme episode of American Greed, articles from the Associated Press, and most importantly, the article The Man Who Cracked the Lottery by Reed Forgave for the New York Times. And I got my info from an episode of Snapped and an amazing article for Crime Library by David Krajicek. For a full list of our sources, visit lgtcpodcast.com. Any errors are, of course, ours, but please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff. It was a juvenile!